Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So when you think about fear, uh, you may be uh, surprised to find out that 15 to 20% of all Americans deal with some kind of phobia. That is the kind of phobia that would cause them to seek help, to go to therapy, because it, it, it is so demonstrative in their lives. You may be surprised to find out that some 40% of people, though they might not seek therapy, they, they deal with some form of extreme anxiety that grabs their attention some point in their life. And collectively, that's 65 million Americans that either deal with fear or anxiety of some sort. And you may say to me, well, Mark, that's, that's not what I deal with. And we men, particularly, uh, we have to be macho, so we always deny being afraid of anything, uh, you know. But the truth be told is that we all wrestle with some kind of fear, whether it's swimming out into the ocean, uh, whether it's walking the beach where cliffs have collapsed, or whether it's just getting up and doing some kind of presentation in front of people, we would all admit that we have thought about a fear, for the fear grips us. And with that, wouldn't it be great if the Bible said something about it? And I'm glad that you wondered that, because David, as we've been studying, becoming David's, David wrestled with fear. This macho guy that took on Goliath, this macho guy that became a commander of troops, that became a king, uh, this guy that seemed so big in Scripture, he wrestled with fear. And I'm going to point out that even Jesus, at one point in his life, dealt with fear. And we're going to find some answers here in Psalm 27. Let me read to you the entire psalm. Verse 1, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, It is my enemies, my foes, who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set, my high, my, set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in, your, in anger. 
You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. What a great psalm. You've already been to church, right? Just reading this psalm, you, you can feel it resonating with your spirit, right? Well, the preamble of this psalm is verse one. This is kind of the heading. David often does this. He'll, in the first verse or two, let you know what the rest of the psalm is all about. This is the umbrella statement. The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We used to sing this song back in the 70s. There was a little jingle. I won't sing it for you. But it, 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 it's a great verse to memorize. And just to point out some details of this preamble, first of all, the word Lord occurs twice in this verse, but it's not what you think. The normal word in the Hebrew is Adonai, which is similar to kurios in the Greek, just means the Lord, the master, uh, the head of the household. That's not the word here. This word here is the personal name of God, Yahweh. The NIV, at least in my translation, unfortunately, whoever did this screen for you, failed to put Lord in all caps. The NIV does that for me. It, it lets me know when the personal name of God, Yahweh, occurs, and they do it by putting it all in caps. Why is it important that it's the personal name of Yahweh here? It's because God is personal. And when you have fear in your life, you don't need some God who's far, far away. You need someone very, very present in the verb form of the word Yahweh is to be. And it implies that Yahweh is always present. He is, he's not was, he's not will be, he is, he is with you in the now. And we sometimes in our own prayer life overcome this gap be between you and me, between earth and heaven by using the name Jesus. And of course, that's the name of the Son of God. And it's so different to say, dear Jesus, than dear God. <laughs> when I was growing up, the, I didn't go to church often, but when I did, uh, it was kind of a cathedral-type place. And it was a brick building, mostly like a cathedral. And when the minister, who was wearing a black robe, very formal, which I actually like, I just don't look good in it, um, <laughs> he would pray, pray something where his voice would drop an octave and he would, he would greet us all at the door. He seemed like a nice guy, but then when he prayed, it was... Our dear Heavenly Father. And, and it would echo off the walls of the building. Father, Father, Father. 
we ask you to be present here, 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 here. And I just thought, wherever he is, he's somewhere out there. But in my fears, I need him present. You with me? I need him right here. And so David is doing that using the name Yahweh. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Every one of us have some kind of fear, and out of that we create preambles over our own lives, kind of like epitaphs over our grave, where we would say, if you were to know me, you would know that I fear failure. If you were to know me, you would know that I hate to be in front of people. If you were to know me, I fear being around a bunch of ladies who will judge me for what I'm wearing. If you know me, that, that's not mine, by the way, but <laughs> I, I can imagine ladies saying something. And we wear these preambles that become judgments over our life. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm unlucky. We're, we're kind of this pig pen kind of person that has a cloud over our lives. And unfortunately, that becomes the preamble by which we know ourselves. And our society has empowered that by dismissing God and making you the focal point. That you are the one that supplies the meaning of your life. You are the one that supplies the purpose of your life. And that feels so hollow and empty. But the Bible reaches beyond you to grab a hold of God and says, you're not the meaning of your life. God supplies the meaning to your life. You're not the savior of your soul. God provides. And, and as we do that, we create a new preamble that's bigger than the losing preambles that we've had entitling our lives. You with me? So the Lord, Yahweh, is the light of my, in my salvation, my stronghold. Let it be known. What great things to tell ourselves. Who are you? Well, if you were to know me, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's who I am, right? So David does that, and he says, the Lord is the light. When we have fears, how much do we need the light? You know, a lot of us try to chase our fears away. Just go away. Come on, Mark. Be strong. Come on. Buck up, and you got to do this thing. And it's almost like we're just yelling at the darkness to go away. Because in the darkness, fear is empowered. So what do you do? You don't yell at the darkness. You just turn on the light. Where did the darkness go? I don't know. But now I see where everything is. And David says, the Lord is the light of my life. He turns my light, my life on. And in the presence of the Lord, I see his truth. I see his goodness. Out of that, I have joy. But it's not because of me. It's because the Lord turns on the light. When I was young, I had an experience of fear. 
I've had many since then, but this you'll laugh at. Uh, I got up, and this is embarrassing, but I'll get through it real quickly. Um, I had to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. I got up, I don't know what age I was, maybe seven, and there was a man in the hallway wearing an overcoat and a hat in our, in our hallway in Orange County. And, but I was halfway through the hallway when I turned and I saw him and I ran into the bathroom and then locked the door. And now I thought, I'm committed. <laughs> if I scream, he's gonna come and get me. If I do nothing, he's gonna come and get me. <laughs> if I go back to my bedroom, he's gonna come and get me. It was a long night. Well, late in the morning, I found out that my dad had hung his overcoat on a hanger in the hallway and put his hat on the top of the, the hanger. And there it was in the hallway. And my sister told me, yeah, I saw the same guy. Uh, that's the way fears are. You see a little bit in the darkness and your mind expands, you know? This is what's gonna happen. If you do it, this is what's gonna happen in your mind because you're blessed with an imagination, your mind takes over and makes it beyond what it is. That's the way fear works. Listen, you're hardwired to have fear. Did you know that? As humans, you are hardwired as a humanoid to have fear. It helps you when you're around a lion in the jungle when you're on a railroad track and a train is coming, fear is your friend, right? Fight or flight, ah, and now you escape. But fear, when it gets out of hand, now it is your master and you have to serve the fear because your imagination is imagining what could be. Anxiety works the same way. Anxiety is your friend. It got me through college. You know, the night before every final, oh my gosh, I'm, I have a test tomorrow. What am I gonna do? And I would study, and I would barely make it, make it through. Without anxiety, I would have never graduated. <laughs> but anxiety, when it gets out of hand, it now begins to control you. It's like the cars. Uh, you know, we have car alarms. Everybody have a car alarm. You feel secure because you got a... But does anyone come to the rescue of a car alarm? You hear it out in the parking lot and you think, oh, another obnoxious car alarm. Because that's kind of what anxiety and fear are like when they get out of control. It's just another fear that's taken over. So you're hardwired for fear and anxiety, but they're only there to be your servants, not to be your masters. The Lord is your master, and he's the one that puts everything in perspective. He's your light, he's your salvation. The Lord is the castle, the stronghold of your life. I love the word salvation because it's not at this early stage, 1,000 years before Christ, it's not talking about the cross. That hasn't happened yet. He's talking about the Lord being your lifeguard, your bodyguard, 
your secret service agent man that walks with you, invisible. He is the guy that's always there with you, saving you from what you could have, should have, all those things. That's what the Bible means. He is your personal guy that's walking through life with you. He is your savior. So David, when he faced Goliath, here we find out this preamble played out in this young man's life. He was possibly around 17 at the time, too young to be in the military, and he takes lunch to his brothers at the command of his dad, and he sees while he's giving the sack lunch to his brothers, he sees this giant of a man step out and call the armies of Israel all these foul names. And the whole army of Israel cowers at the presence of Goliath. And David says, what is this guy? What are you all afraid of? Because David sees the Lord. He sees God as being bigger than Goliath. And you know the rest of the story. He steps into the gap, uh, what could have been a fear, and he overcomes Goliath. When I was a kid, we had this um, football. We played tackle football. You know, we shouldn't have, we should have used equipment. Later on, when you get into junior high, you get uh, pads and everything, but we just played pickup tackle football at the neighborhood school. And uh, gave me a broken leg, gave me a broken foot, gave me a broken hand, but we loved it. And, uh, <laughs> and the way we played is we just meet at the school every day, and there'd be four of us on each team, and the next guy that comes, it's your turn to pick, and you get him, and you get him, and you get him, and the team kind of builds out from there. And so one day we're playing football, and we're losing, and I know the next player that comes out after school we get him. And I see this new guy in the neighborhood walking onto the field. He looks like he needs to shave. <laughs> he looks like he just drove himself to the game, <laughs> but apparently he's still only 12 years old. <laughs> and I say, we get him. <laughs> What's your name? Igor. He was huge. Every play, give the ball to Igor. <laughs> Pass the ball to Igor. They couldn't tackle him. No matter how many guys try, they couldn't tackle Igor. Igor is on your team. God is with you. And that's what David saw when he saw Goliath. We got Igor. Jesus, God, is on our team. So now we come into David's fear. And this may surprise you. He actually talks about what he fears. It's war, which is a very legitimate fear, right? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, when my enemies and my foes come, who will stumble? It is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army beseech me, besiege me, my heart will not fear. So he's, he's self-talking about what I'll do when my ultimate fear happens, which is war. And who doesn't fear war? I, war is a legitimate fear 
But David, as a warrior, as a commander, and as a king, he faced war, and he had to figure out, well, what am I going to do about this? And he says, it's because of God that I'll deal with my fear. Now, take a moment to conjure up your fear. What is your personal fear? If you have a long line of fears, just tell them to take a number. And uh, just think of one or two fears that you have, because I don't want you to think that this isn't practical for you. I want you to think of your fear. You got one? Uh, If there's too many, tell them to back off, just one at a time. So David is thinking of his fear, and he's putting God, notice what he says there, uh, that I will, he says, even though this happens, I will be confident. Now, there's one word that I like here that I want to draw your attention to in verse 2. It's the word when. Here's why I like this word. Fears, things that we fear, sometimes happen. That's usually why we fear them, right? Now, The boogeyman that was in the hallway, he wasn't there. But you read in the newspaper that sometimes there are burglars that happen and kids grow up being aware of the... So my point is this. It it isn't, it'll never happen. It's when it happens, what do I do, right? I like that nitty-gritty practical faith if so, I go to someone and they say, la, 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 I want you to think Pollyanna, think positive. Oh, no, 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 don't say that. That's negative thinking. I want you to think positive. Um, I want you to click your heels and say there's place, no place like home. I don't know what to do with that. I want a God that walks with me in real life and doesn't make me create a fantasy world. So the Bible here says when, when it happens, when you find yourself all alone, when you find yourself without a job, when you find yourself sick, what do I do? And here's the answer, to have faith in God, to trust in him. And David says, I will be confident even in the midst of my fears. In David's life, there were 13 years that he was chased around the desert by King Saul, who was paranoid that David was going to become king. And so for 13 years, approximately from when he was 17 to when he was 30, Saul was on the move trying to kill David. And that's enough to make you paranoid. And so he's hiding out in Engedi in the desert. He's, he's hiding out among the Philistines. He's hiding out, always wondering, where is Saul? So even when he becomes king, he has this awareness with his son Absalom when he tries to overthrow and have a coup. David is, is, is aware this when might happen, but what will you do when the when happens? Your fear of public speaking. And now at Thanksgiving, they say, would you say grace? 
it's, it's the thing. I can, you know, everybody wants to climb to Yosemite, top of Yosemite Falls. And even though there's a rail there and even though there's people holding on the back of you, you, you can't bring yourself to look down. Or you've always wanted to ask this girl out and you've waited for 15 years <laughs> for fear that she might reject you and say no. And you'd rather live with the wonder than to step out and find out what do you do with your fear when it happens to be confident in who God is now we come to verse 4 where you find another word that I like it's one thing one thing I ask from the Lord This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple for in the day of trouble. Notice it will happen from time to time. This is a broken world. And, And sometimes bad things happen to good people. What do I do in the day of trouble? He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He will set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me, and I will make music. He actually describes worshiping God uh, and shouting for joy in his tent. What I love is the word one thing. Actually, it's two words. In the Hebrew, it's one. One thing. It's not complicated, folks. There's just one thing you need to overcome your fear. Isn't that good news? There's just one thing. There's only one thing. I was trying to learn to golf once. I think I phrased that well. And I'm out with a golf pro. I'm about 32, and uh, he's a very kind but impatient man, a perfectionist, uh, who is a really, really good golfer. And uh, he's not a, uh, I didn't hire him, he's a friend, so he's doing me a favor. But by the time we were even close to 15 holes, I can see that he's completely frustrated with me. <laughs> he's just fit to be tied. And uh, he keeps barking all these commands to me of what I need to do to be a good golfer. And I'm adding them up in my mind. And there's 17 things. There's not one thing. If you want to be a good golfer, it's not just love the game. You got to do a lot of things. For one thing, you got to you got to imagine, according to my friend, you got to imagine that there's a newspaper tucked underneath your left arm, so that you keep your arm straight and you and you. You can't let go of the newspaper. And you got to keep your head down. You can't be looking where you're here. You got to keep your head down. And you got to have your knees uh, not straight, but not like this. You got to have your knees somewhere in between there. And they can't be like this. They can't be like this. They got to be somewhere natural with your your shoulders. And and it goes on and on and on. And. And then finally, you know what number 17 was? Just relax. (laughs) 
You know what I did after that? I just paddled out. I'm done. I'm done. Just relax. But God doesn't do that to you. You want to overcome your fear? Buy my book, The 10 Steps, The 10, 15 Steps, The 17 Steps to Overcome Fear. And there you are, embroiled with fear again. What was, this, you know, what was the 16th? What was the 13th? There's one thing. There's one thing. I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of Yahweh and to seek him in his temple. Now that seems completely unrelated to fear, but it's very close to fear and I'm going to explain why. David is telling us what he wants and he takes all of his wants and he reduces them down to one want, premier want, it's Jesus. I love the fact that he says to gaze on his beauty. Most of us don't think of God as being beautiful. Uh, men here would never want to hear the word, you're a beautiful man. Uh, it's, it's not what we want to hear. But when we talk about God, who is spirit, we're talking about the characteristics of God that are ultimate beauty. We can say that the sunset is beautiful, that... A nature scene is beautiful, that people are beautiful, but God is ultimate beauty. And I think that's how it will be when we get to heaven. You won't arrive in heaven and say, well, I'm finally going to get some answers as to why this happened and how God could let this. You are going to get to heaven and let that file drop to the ground and you're going to drop your jaw and stare. As we stare at beauty, pure love, pure goodness, pure kindness, pure patience, all the things that we wish we could have been and want to be, there they are, the inventor, the one who is, will gaze on his beauty. And David is telling us that that is the thing that causes me to lose all my other fears. Because here's how it works, folks. I've dealt with my own fear. Fear is, is fueled by wants. Yeah? I didn't know. Well, let me explain to you, Mark. <laughs> the fear is that I won't receive what I want in the future. I have all these wants. You know, I hope I'm, I want to be successful. I want to get married. I don't want to be married. I, that, was, that was a joke. Uh, I, I, I want to have children. I wish they grow up. I want them to leave. I want, I want, I want, I want, and we begin to fear that those wants aren't gonna happen. Or the things I don't want are going to happen, right? So it's wants that are fueling the fear. And it's all in the future. It hadn't even happened yet. I'm not living in the present. I'm living consumed by a future that hasn't happened, fueled by the oxygen of wants. 
But if I take my wants and I channel them to the supreme want of God, that's what I ultimately want. I want to see him. I want to see his face. I want to be there. I want to live forever. I want to know as I am known. It takes the power away of the other wants that fuel my fear. What can you do to me? Think about it. Paul dealt with this in Philippians chapter one where he says, you know, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you do with that guy? If you don't recant your faith in Christ, we're gonna kill you. He says, great. I want to be with Christ. Can't wait to gaze on his view. All right, if you don't recant, we're going to make you live. Great. <laughs> to live is Christ. He's taken all the power out of fear. Do you see? I can't make your life perfect. I can't. It's a broken world. I can't. You know, I mean, think of all the, the, the stories we've heard. You're going to be Prince Charming. You're going to be. Sleeping beauty, you're gonna have a castle. One day your prince will come. I can't make all that happen. I don't know how it's all gonna happen. And to say everybody gets the Cinderella story. I don't know. But what I can tell you is Jesus will be your prince. He will be your forever. He will be your love story. And out of that, all the other little ones happen but the other little ones were never meant to be the big one. The other services didn't get this. We're off the map here. These other things were never meant to be the big one. And it's these big wants that create big fears. But Jesus is the ultimate want it takes away the power of fear. David actually danced when he saw the Ark of the Covenant finally coming in the right way. He danced before the Lord, and he became this worshiper. You know, I, I think that sometimes when we worship here, uh, a lot of us don't know what's really going on. The, the band was amazing. The music is amazing. But what's really happening is we're worshiping ultimate beauty, but I can guarantee you someone who has been set free from their fears is worshiping here today. It's like, oh my gosh, this is huge. They're worshiping. You know, the rest of us are just like, well, I kind of like that song. That's cool. And, and that's, a, a, you know, and I, I can't read the words. And why are they lifting their hands? And, you know, we, we're, we're, we're not getting it. But someone who's been set free is worshiping. Real quickly, there's an earnest prayer that David prays, and I'm always looking to Scripture to find out how to pray. You know, I, I know how to pray the one word, which is help. It's my regular prayer, but there, there's other things I want you to draw. You see, your, uh, want you to draw your attention to in verse uh, seven and eight. David says, hear my voice when I call. Be merciful to me. Answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Come on, Foreman. Seek his face. 
your face, Lord, I will seek. What is he saying here? Number one, when you pray, you're asking God to be there, right? I'm showing up, you better show up. So that's the first thing he asked. God, would you be there in that moment when I pray? Right on, God will be there. Secondly, he says, don't back away from me. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Uh, You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me. And he uses this hyperbole. Even if my mother and father can't stand me, Lord, still receive me. What is he saying here? Number one, be there. The second thing is, when you are there, be gracious to me. You have every reason to reject me. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, he has, he has the whole lowdown on you. He has every reason to just cross his arms and tap his foot and say, you know, Foreman, I've had it with you. You think you can walk in here and ask for one more thing. Well, and kind of move his head like that. And even if your mom and dad do that to you, God will never do that to you. Be there and then be gracious to me when I show up. And then thirdly, teach me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. I have all these roads that people are telling me, this is what you gotta do and this is what you gotta do. I want your teaching, God. I want, your teaching is, is higher than Yoda's teaching. Your teaching is the best. Did you know that every fearful moment is a teaching moment? That's tweetable. <laughs> every fearful moment is also a teaching moment. So teach me what I'm needing to learn, your deep pathways, and don't turn me over to my fears. He, David's fear is his enemies in war. Don't give me over to my fears. That's number one. Don't let the fear happen, whatever I am fearing. So David resolves all of this in verses 13 and 14, and he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know where the land of the living is? Not dead. (laughs) Meaning, what I fear against war and enemies is that I'll die. So he says, I am confident that I will live, that I will see God's goodness in my life in the land of the living, not in the land of the dead. And so he resolves to say, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. Oh, so many times I've spoken to my soul. (laughs) Come on, foreman, wait for the Lord. Just wait for it. Now here's the irony. This is the last slider of the morning. Don't swing and miss this. Fear is waiting for the shoe to drop, right? Shoe is, is, fear is waiting for something bad to happen. That's what fear is. Why are we doing that? Instead, wait for the Lord. 
Don't go out ahead of him. Don't be impetuous. Wait for the Lord. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay, little buddy. It's going to work out okay. God's with you. But stop waiting for the bad things. Just stop it and wait for the Lord. There's a writer who has written for Vanity Fair, but she wrote a book. Her name is Carol Chapman, and she had a fear. Her fear was the fear of death, the fear of loneliness, the fear of living the rest of her life all alone because her husband had died. Her husband, at a young age, went, they went to Guatemala. He was a kayaker, river kayaker, and he died in the river, one of the rivers in Guatemala. And so now she's fearing this great, great big fear of how do I now do life without him? It's a big fear. It's a real fear, right? Some of you have lived with that fear. And now Easter is coming up, and it's going to be their first Easter, not together. And what do I do? So she decides to face her fear with God. And she buys a ticket to Paris and decides to go to Notre Dame. This is before the fire uh, in 2015, she decides to go to Notre Dame and to go through this big passion play that's put on every year at Easter. At the time that she misses her husband, she wants to be in this fear of being alone, and she's going through the passion play, which has a lot of medieval monks and chanting and different things and a 7,000 pipe organ playing, and she has this aha moment when she gets to the story that has Gethsemane in it. And the aha moment is Jesus faced his fear in Gethsemane. That Jesus had a fear. How does the Son of God face death taking on the sins of the world? And does the Son of God, after he dies, rise from the dead? It's never been done before, right? Hello? I mean, a lot of us play out God in there. They say, well, God knows and God can do anything. And, you know, but think about it. There Jesus is not only God, but he's fully man. He hasn't done this. There's no beta on this. There's no pilot project on resurrection. God, have you ever tried this before? <laughs> Could we practice this? You know, like I fake dead, and then you fake a resurrection. We just kind of run through this a few times so that we know that this is really going to work. This is a high wire without a net. And so Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there's any other way, let's, let's take plan B. No other way. He prays it three times. He faces his fear. And God says, no. Got to do this thing. And he carries his cross. And he dies for you and for me. And aren't you glad?
Aren't you glad Jesus faced his fear? That's the way it works for you and me. It changes the story. You can't drive around it. You drive right through it. You say, God, you are with me in this. And there's a resurrection on the other side where God now is the beauty of my life. He is the one thing, and I'm a different person. And whatever that fear was, it'll be back again, I know, but it's going to be much smaller because I've seen that fear in the light of God. This morning, I want to see chains fall off. I want to hear the sound of chains and fetters falling off as we decide, you know what? I'm tired of this fear ruling me. Jesus, you're the beauty. You're the one thing of my life. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the practicality of the gospel that Jesus, you came to set the captives free. And God, you know how fear and anxiety has played a role in our lives. And God, we want to see those things decrease and you increase in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you move in our midst, unlocking fetters, breaking chains. Lord, we singularly and collectively declare you to be our one thing. Oh God, we thought we needed this, we thought we wanted that, and every time we get there, we it's like cotton candy. It's not substantive. It disappears. It melts, and we're wanting again. God, we direct, redirect our wants to you and you alone. Be our one thing. We want to behold your beauty, your goodness, your truth. In your presence, Lord, we want you to turn on the light and expose these fears for what they are. Empty what-ifs. Empty what-if-onlys. God, I pray specifically that you would come to people who have never turned to you regarding their fear, that you would come to them and become their personal counselor in life giving them courage I pray for those that have rejected themselves thinking that you're unmerciful and that you're unkind God would you come to us and show us your undeserved love and favor and for those of us that have never seen you facing fear that we would see you both as great almighty God, but also as our human savior that faced your own fear, modeled for us what we could do with our fear, to take it to prayer. 
that in the end, all of us would be set free, God, like David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.